Minimalism is the movement that encourages you to live with less. Less stuff, less possessions, less clutter, and find more joy and more time to focus on what matters. So what is minimalish? It's the grace-filled way of doing the same thing. Sustainable, realistic minimalism that actually makes sense for your life. The Minimalish Podcast is here to help you make life lighter realistically. I'm your host, Desiree, and my passion is to help you create room for what matters to you by cutting the clutter and excess stuff in your home and your life. It's not just about decluttering and having a tidy home, but about how having less stuff will give you more time and more space to focus on creating the life you actually want to live. We'll talk about topics of minimalism, motherhood, simple, intentional living, and everything in between here on the show each week. Let's walk towards simple together. Hey friend, just popping in to let you know, you might notice that the podcast has gone through a couple of name changes along the way. When the podcast was brand new, it started as something pretty different than it is now, but the thing is that the topics were very similar. So I've kept these older episodes around here because I still really think that they're valuable and I hope you enjoy them. So without further ado, let's get to this episode and I hope you enjoy it. Hey friend, welcome to the Simply Enough show. If you've listened before, welcome back. And if you are new to listening to this show, Welcome! I am so excited that you are listening in to today's episode. Um, I am actually releasing my podcast on a new day, so if you have listened before, just know that the podcast will be out on Thursdays now, and there's really nothing to this change other than it's just a day that works better for my family and I, gives me more time throughout the week to get everything done that I need to for this show before it releases. Today, I have a super exciting episode to share with you. I am talking to Manda Carpenter, a writer and blogger who I've personally followed for a long time. If you don't know who she is, uh, you should. But just to give you a background, Manda describes herself like this. She's a beloved child of God, wife to her favorite person, foster mom, and a total morning person. She's at her best before 9 p.m., which... I can definitely relate to, especially since having Gemma. She makes her home in Chicago, and although she didn't say this herself, I'll say it for her, she's a super talented writer, which is how I initially was introduced to her. I followed Amanda initially through her blog a few years ago, and I've loved reading her transparent writing. She's an extremely encouraging, honest person, and I think you'll agree with all of this after you listen to our conversation today. We talk about her experience as a foster mom, the struggles and joy that has come from that journey. And we talk about a career change that she went through and how she has learned to combat stress, overthinking, and anxiety that can come along with big changes like this. We talk a little bit about her writing too and her really awesome movement that she started, Letters of Encouragement. Manda also tells us the story behind why she goes by Manda instead of Amanda. I know you all are going to love this interview, and there's so much good stuff in it, so let's just jump right in. Here's my conversation with Manda. Hi, Manda. Thank you so much for coming on today, for being on the show. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you, and I think our listeners are really going to enjoy hearing your story. So first, uh, before we dive in, tell us a little bit about who you are um, and what you do, your family, anything like that. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I was super excited. I, you know, I don't have a podcast, but I love listening to podcasts and I love um, sharing my story. So it's kind of fun when someone asks me to, to be on there. So thank you. Uh, yeah, just a little bit about me for someone who might not know. I My name is Amanda, but I go by Amanda. I dropped the first A simply because there's another Amanda Carpenter out in the world who works <laughs> for like CNN and she's like big time. And so I didn't want to deal with like competing on Google and trying to be like, I write, hear my voice over <laughs> this already like famous person. And also a lot of my close friends just call me Amanda. So just a little background on why the name thing. I live in Chicago with my husband and we've been married for three and a half years and we became foster parents a year ago, a little over a year ago now. Um, and so we don't have any biological children, but we 
when people say like, do you have kids? It's kind of a weird wonky, like, uh, yes, no. Like, cause at times there's no kids living with us. And then yeah. there's most of the time there are like right now we have an eight year old with us. And, um, a few months back we had twin three-year-olds for quite a while. So wow. it's kind of a revolving door in terms of family. And I work currently at, um, a church here in the West loop of Chicago. I do first impressions and connections. And so, I never thought I would work at a church. I was formerly a teacher. I think we'll probably talk about that a little bit since I think you and I have that in common. But yeah, that's just a little bit about who I am and my family. Awesome. And talk a little bit about uh, your writing because that's how I found you um, probably a couple years ago. I found your blog and um, you just uh, you write so beautifully. So talk about that. How long have you been writing? Has it been something you've always done or... Yeah, thank you for asking. And I appreciate that because, you know, as a writer or a creative in general, I think sometimes we have such a hard time like promoting ourselves. Like it feels yucky and like we don't want to do that. But at the same time, it's like if you have a gift or a desire or a passion and you're, you know, you write something, like I'll be the first to admit, like for a while I felt so weird putting writing out there and telling people, like, hey, I wrote this thing, go read this thing. But at the same time, I felt like, well, if I am writing this to help people or I want it to help people and speak, to them, why would I not share it with them? You know, so I kind of had to get over that. But to back up a little bit, I started, I've always like considered myself a writer. When I was in elementary school, I would make books, Um, you know, you could buy, or maybe you don't know, but at my school, you could buy these like hard cover, plain white, blank white pages on the inside, these like books, and then create Mm -hmm. your own book. And so as young as like second grade, I think I was like creating these stories and, and illustrating these pictures, which by the way, I can't draw. So it's hilarious to look back. (laughs) Like I thought I was amazing. Um, I sort of, I think kind of like became my own little author at a young age. And then as I got older, um, in college, like I always enjoyed writing papers and that kind of thing, like was like easy and fun for me versus like math was like that kind of stuff's not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 2013, I was in my final year of college and I had gone through a pretty bad breakup. Um, it was like, when I say bad, it was my fault. So I'll just own that in case someone ever listens and they're like, I know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> it was all my fault. Um, just a messy ending. And I have to, I can't really talk about my writing journey without talking about my journey with Jesus. And so Just to give you an idea, I had always grown up pretty much in a Christian home and like would call myself a Christian, but I think it was a lot of head knowledge and it didn't really translate to my heart. And so very long story short, uh, in 2013, I created a WordPress blog. Um, That's just one of the many options that you can, just anyone can start a blog for free. And it was my maiden name. It was Amanda Kruger at wordpress.com. And, you know, I didn't really... I didn't tell anyone about it. I didn't like have my heart set on like being a blogger or anything like that. I just decided I needed a place to like journal, a creative outlet to process all that was happening in my life, all the new things that were happening with Jesus and all the junk that I was still sitting in um, from this breakup and from the fact that a lot of the decisions I'd made in the past were kind of um, coming back to haunt me and, uh, just like, you know, there are natural consequences for bad decisions since I was dealing with that. And yeah, so I was writing on this WordPress blog to, for myself. I mean, honestly, it was just my little diary, but online. And one day I felt like I heard God say, I mean, it wasn't an audible voice or anything, but I felt like God kind of put it on my heart to share one of the blog posts I'd written on Facebook. And it was about like being single and this book that I had been reading. And so I decided to share it on Facebook. Little did I know that when someone clicks on that post and reads that post, they can also just click around and see the rest of your site and read all of your posts. (laughs) Well, this was both a blessing and a curse. A blessing because people were like, oh my gosh, this is so real and raw and that's because it was never intended for an audience. So yes, right. it was very real and very raw, which I think everyone craves that kind of a writer. Um, Absolutely. But a curse in that I didn't want everyone seeing and reading a lot of that stuff. So it was kind of a tricky time, but it was during that that I felt like God kind of affirmed like through people telling me like, you've got a gift for writing. And this is something that like God is really using you. You're speaking to me and I'm a 45 year old woman going through a divorce. You're speaking to me and I'm a a 16 year old girl in high school, just a few steps behind you. Like, thank you for sharing what you've gone through, things like that. And so it was from that that sort of launched me into everything that I do now with writing. 
Yeah. And we'll talk about this um, a little bit later, but if you could just give kind of like a brief overview of what do you do now? Like where could people find your writing right now? Yeah. So I write at mandacarpenter.com. And to be honest, I've slacked since we've had children coming in and out of our home. Uh, motherhood has been like a whole new thing to navigate on top of a full-time job. So oh, I'll yeah. just preface by saying my blog is not always like the place where you can find all my current writing. But if you follow me on social at Amanda Carpenter on Instagram, I'm always sharing like the latest podcast I was on or the latest blog post that's been featured somewhere else or article I've written for Notre Dame University or whatever the case is because I have um, different places and um, publications that I'll contribute to um, with writing. But also probably the best place for someone to consistently know where my writing's been featured and, and hear my thoughts in the present time is my email newsletter. And so I always tell people like, if you want to be in the know and really inside my head and heart sometimes, like just subscribe to my email newsletter. That's the thing that I try to at the very least send out a, a monthly newsletter at the end of each month, um, which I have told people that is a place where I promise not to be impressing, meaning I, I, my little tagline or my little slogan is impressing is exhausting. I yeah. really believe that. And I felt like that's something that God has worked um, on me about, meaning just to drop the act and keep it real. And even the word authenticity, you know, it's so overrated. And what is authenticity anymore? Because I can be selectively authentic and selectively vulnerable. Um, but just a lot to do with that. And so my newsletter, my email newsletter that people can subscribe if they want, is a place where I really take the mask off. I keep it real. And um, obviously, there are certain things that none of us share with anyone uh, maybe because it's not the right time to, or maybe because right. it would hurt someone else. But other than that, I really just kind of like open myself up. And um, a lot of readers tell me that's their favorite thing. That's awesome. So I will link in our show notes um, where our listeners can sign up for that if they want to hear more from you, which I'm sure they will. So um, cool, yeah. awesome. Thank you so much for talking about that. And we will talk about that a little bit later. But one of my goals is to kind of encourage mothers and just talk about motherhood um, and the many different forms of motherhood. And I really want to hear about your foster parenting journey. To be honest with you, this is something that I don't know much about. And I'm sure that is something you realize that I'm sure that's common, that not many people know much about um, foster parenting. So it's so cool that you can share that today um, and share as much as you, I guess, as much as you can or want to. Um, so I want to hear about what that's been like for you, kind of what inspired you to start fostering um, and also just kind of your journey in general. What has it taught you about being a parent, being a mom? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to share. It's one of the greatest joys of my life. And I don't mean that in the corniest way, but it's true. Yeah. Um, so to back up, I'll give you the cliff notes version. I have had the seed in my heart to foster and adopt for as long as I can remember. It's just always been a desire. And in terms of having children, biological children, it's just never been a desire. And I can't really explain that other than it's, it just is what it is. And so when my husband and I got married, um, he knew I wanted to be a foster parent and he obviously knew that before we got married. So that was something we had many discussions around. Yeah. And so when we got married and we were living in the city of Chicago, we were in a tiny studio apartment. We knew there was no way we could have kids in there. And we kind of felt like we were doing our thing, you know, having our fun years. and. I would say that one day it just really hit me. I was like, I got really tender and really emotional. And I told him like, I want to be a mom. And he was like, kind of like wide eyed, like what? Cause I had also <laughs> always been this like hardworking career focused person. Um, and so he was, I think he was a little thrown off, but as we began a series of conversations, um, he definitely understood that for me, that did not mean getting pregnant. That meant opening up our home to kids who, who have a need <clears throat> And so we ended up going through a very long process. Um, it took much longer than we ever anticipated. We ended up moving into an apartment that's much larger and we had got a second bedroom and we began to prepare our lives as much as possible for that change. And then when it finally happened, we got a call um, once everything was like done. Um, I mean, you go through everything from getting your blood drawn to fingerprinting to home studies to another home study to a series of questions to, you know, it's just like paperwork yeah. and questioning and all the things. Um, and then when that was all done and 
we got a call about a three-year-old little girl. We were like so excited. But also I was like, oh my gosh, wait a minute. Like, will they provide childcare? Like, do we do that? Like I'm working full-time, he's working full-time. Like we were just like, oh, I don't know. And so we said yes and just dove right in without really knowing anything. And it all worked out. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that to everyone. I definitely think it's a calling, just like I think having your own children is a calling and we're not all meant to. And so getting to um, actually having kids in our home, that has been crazy. Um, (laughs) I've joked with people that these kids really, they do more than just take up residency in our home for a time period. They also take up residency in our heart. Um, Truly, that's like a forever thing. And for us, we've now had one, two, three, we're with our seventh kid right now. And so ours have been mostly short term placements that we haven't had them for long times. The longest we had was almost nine months and that was our twin three-year-old girls. So um, we've just had us had different age ranges, different lengths of time, different stories, each of them. And it wouldn't be fair for me to talk about all this without saying that one thing I learned was, you know, I knew that foster care, the goal was reunification it's always the primary goal is reunification if it's safe and healthy and the court determines that that's best for the child. And I knew that, but after falling in love and attaching to some of these kids, it's been really, really hard to let go. And so people, a common thing people will say is, I don't know how you do it. I would get too attached. It's like, I want to scream at them and be like, uh, yeah, I do. Like I'm not heartless. (laughs) I totally get that because I get too attached. And I, I wish, I, I think the thing that I want people to hear me say is like, don't let that hold you back because if you're the type that's like, I'm going to get way too attached, you're the right person to be a foster parent. Um, truly, that's the type of person these kids need for that season of their life. And so definitely like, I just tell people all the time, don't let the hold you back if you're feeling that nudge. Like there are so many kids in need here in Chicago, like, or I think it's the entire state of Illinois. I don't want to get my facts wrong, but Point being, there's a lot of kids and you can go onto your state's website and look into it, but just keep in mind so you don't make some of the same mistakes that I did in terms of just that it is, the goal is reunification. And when you're talking with a birth parent who currently doesn't have their child for good reasons, that that person is still a human and they still love their child. And to really form a relationship with them, having like that, um, that, um, on the forefront of your mind, because I definitely, um, had to backpedal in, uh, one of the relationships with one of our children's birth parents, because yeah, I said and did a lot of things that were wrong. I made a lot of assumptions. And so I've just been learning. I think this one that we currently have, um, this little eight year old, I think I'm getting, getting some of it right. Not all of it, but I think I'm getting better. And I'm, you know, I always say we learn as we go. So you don't know what you don't know and you got to learn and figure it out. So we're figuring it out, but we love um, being foster parents. And then for me, as far as motherhood goes specifically, I love it. Yeah. I, I love it more than I ever thought I would. And you know, if there was any part of me that feared or worried that I couldn't love a child I didn't birth, that, that's like totally dismantled and gone. That fear is gone. That, um, that has totally like, now I'm like, Oh no, this is for me. This is for sure. Um, true motherhood. I don't feel like it's like motherhood with quotations, you know, like it really is. And, you know, I love everything from the mundane, waking them up and getting their, getting them to brush their teeth and get off to school and going to, I just went to a parent teacher conference last week. And, um, I love the mundane things like that, but I, I love all of it. I loved last year was our first time having kids throughout the holidays. So seeing them on Thanksgiving and Christmas, like get a good meal and open gifts and learn about Jesus. And, um, just knowing that they're safe and loved was obviously such a gift, um, to us more than I I tell people too. That's the other thing. It is more of a gift to me than it is to them. Um, it is incredible. Um, but also I can't say all of these wonderful things without saying that it's also very challenging. You know, these kids, a lot of them are coming from trauma. A lot of them are going to act out. Maybe it's not their first time being in a foster home. Maybe they're bouncing around and you're the fourth place that they've landed. That's our current situation. Um, wow. girls that we have right now, like we were not her first family, her first home. And it's, it's hard. She has every right not to trust us or want to attach and uh, to push back. So there is both tons of joy. And there's a very real amount of 
grief that you sort of walk through with this child and just kind of confusion. And like I said, we've had three-year-olds, we've had eight-year-old, we've had a 17-year-old. Um, so we've, we've kind of done a few different ages. So I've seen a little bit of a broad spectrum there. Wow. It's so nice that and so important that you're sharing your story. I'm grateful to hear of someone that is being a blessing to these mm. children who truly need it. Can you talk a little bit about like what has been the hardest part of it? Yeah, actually the very first thing that comes to my mind that's the most challenging is just the fact that at least for my husband and I, like this was our intro to parenting. And so yeah. I think most people get nine months to prepare with that baby and um, growing inside of them and the baby shower to get everything that they need. And um, the, the bond of having that child grow inside of them and all, all the different things. And, and when you're a foster parent, especially if that's the first time that you're entering parenthood like us. And that, by the way, people ask this all the time. So, or tiptoe around the question, I should say. So I just love to come right out and say it. It is not that we can't have kids. This is just plan A for us. Um, And so everyone's situation is different. But for us, like, I think the the most challenging thing was like, how do we, first of all, how do we do this? Like, what the heck are we doing? Mm -hmm. The cool part is that we've learned that most people are winging it. So we're totally part of the norm, just winging it every day. Oh yeah. (laughs) Parents and uh, bio parents alike. So that's been like a relief to know like, Oh, everybody's winging it. Nobody has it figured out. We're good. Uh, But also like how to prioritize our marriage and keep unified and being a team when we see things differently. Uh, so like Eric, I, I feel like I'm bad cop and he's good cop and that will bother me because I'm like, I want this kid to like me, but I feel like I have to discipline because you're not. And so like just having to navigate, navigate that in our marriage. Um, and then the second most challenging thing is probably just the amount of inconvenience that being a foster parent, so like they, you can't just get a babysitter when you and your husband want to go out of town for a weekend. Like it has to be someone who's certified and okay. the arrangements, but you don't. And, and then you also just feel bad because this kid's bounced around you every single time you go away. You just feel bad, or at least I do. And right. so it's just like, there's just that, or like, I guess the inconvenience of having someone come into your home to do a visit and having to show up for scheduled appointments and, and different dates and things that um, just are mandated. And, but that is what you're signing up for. You're not just signing up to play house with a kid. And right. I think that's a hard real, reality for some people that, that jump in. I, I know it was for me if I'm really honest. And so, yeah, I mean, if I'm being really raw, I think um, probably similar to being a parent in general, like your life changes and, you just, yeah, it's, it's a little less convenient. And so it's been challenging. Yeah. And I mean, for you, you've had all different ages, like with being a biological parent, you come into it and you don't have to think about discipline right away. You know what I mean? That's something I have a 14 month old and I'm just starting like, okay, how do I discipline this (laughs) child or do I like, what do I do? So yeah, we're definitely all winging it. Um, but I'm sure that's so challenging to just kind of be getting all these different ages and just really be, um, jumping in to parenthood. Um, I think, it's really cool though that you did jump into it. Like you said, it kind of, you got the opportunity for that three-year-old. Is that what it, the first child you had a three-year-old to come to your house and you just kind of said, all right, let's do it. That's, that's really awesome. Uh, What have been the most joyful parts of it for you? So many. Um, And this one I could probably get a lot of negative criticism for, but I'm just going to say it because it's the truth. When our first little one was with us for um, almost nine months, I think it, we had had her for about four weeks and she called me mommy. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, like my heart burst with joy. Now right. it also broke because I'm not her mommy. And at that point, like it wasn't looking like she was going to go back. So there was some, just a lot of stuff there, but um, that was a really big moment. Now, again, that's, that is also just evidence of attachment disorder. So it's like a sad thing, but if I'm being selfish and being really honest, it was a joyful thing. I loved being called someone's mommy. I loved that she recognized that she was loved and safe and known and could come to me for any and everything. Um, I would also say joyful things. 
just like every kid is so different in their laughter and like the life they bring into our home. Honestly, like our home is literally like physically marked by each kid. Um, whether it's the twins we had, we marked their height on the wall using little tick marks on yeah. the wall or, or the fact that they literally wrote on the walls in their bedroom. And so some <laughs> of that marker never came off Yeah. Um, to, to, you know, we had a 17 year old and she she made a name tag for her door because it was the first time that she felt like she went, like after she'd been with us for a few weeks, she's like, I'm going to own this room. I, I think this is probably what went on in her mind was like, this is home. Right. And she made a, she made a name tag for her door showing that it's her room. And like, wow. these are little things that, um, they seem like really insignificant, but they, they really mean something to me. Anytime that I'm like, Oh, this kid feels at home here. They feel safe. They feel loved. Speaking of which, the first time that the twins that we had started, um, they were like angels when we first got them, like their behavior, like angels. Mm-hmm. And at first I was just like, this is awesome. <laughs> well, as they grew more comfortable and we had them longer, they started acting like children, like typical three nagers. And that actually brought me joy because I realized that they finally were in an environment where it was consistent and structured and stable and safe and loving. So they didn't have to be in survival mode and they kind of switched back to just being kids. And that meant their behavior was worse, but it brought me joy to know like, they're just being a kid. That's what every kid should have. They shouldn't be worried about like their next meal or if one of us is like going to yell at them or be, I don't know, like, that actually brought me a lot of joy. So as weird as it is, when they started misbehaving, it was a good thing. Yeah, I understand. I I totally see where you're coming from there. Um, That is definitely a sign of comfort because even my 14 month old, I feel like she is totally aware that I'm the one that she can like act out towards because I'm with her all the time. And not that she can, but it's just like, she feels so comfortable with me that she can be bad. You know, it's just how it is. Like the people you feel most comfortable with and you love the most are the people that you can, you feel like, you know, your, your bad side comes out. And um, so I could totally see why, why that was joyful for you. So when it comes to, you had just said you weren't sure about um, the three-year-old who, if she was going to go back or not, um, it's kind of, is it a goal of eventually adoption for you um, with these foster children or how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So my husband and I actually recently had a conversation where we were like, okay, we want to be foster parents, but also we do want to grow our family permanently because it is getting to a point where it's like, oh, like we always say goodbye. We never get to keep anybody. And like, yeah, just the desire is growing to like have a child stay. And so we would like to adopt specifically through foster care. So what that'll probably look like, we haven't really entered that fully yet, but I think what that'll look like is just letting our agency know. Uh, we work with Kaleidoscope in Chicago. So if, you know, if you know any if anyone from Chicago is listening and they're <laughs> interested in this, I'm happy to share more, but um, we currently are with Kaleidoscope. We've been with um, somebody else before, but Kaleidoscope, we've already actually just let the caseworker that's been at our house know, Hey, like we're actually really interested in adoption through foster care. So is there like a process we need to go through or is there just like, if you guys just want to like note that on our profile, maybe then they can give us a foster child who is probably going to need adopted out of foster care. And and that would be the route we go. I I have no idea actually how it's going to play out, but it is for sure something that we want to do in the future, but we're not, we're also not in any rush. So we're really open-handed about it, but we would like to adopt someday. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, And then thinking about that feeling of having to let go um, once they return to their families, if they do, um, how do you, how do you cope with that? Um, I know you've done, it sounds like you've done it how many times now? Well, we have our seventh yeah, yeah. right now. Um, but three of, I should back up and say that three of them were a sibling set and it's actually okay. um, the three kids of someone that I know from our church who just needed some okay. temporary care. So it was a little bit of a different situation. However, yeah, I think it's a great question. Coping. Huh? Well, when the twins were with us, they were our first placement, the three-year-old and then her sister came too. So anyways, the twins were our first placement and they were with us the longest. So theirs was an interesting situation all around, very different than any of the others. But the way we coped with that was the day, I'll never forget the day we dropped them off. I actually recorded myself 
a video of myself in the hallway of my home, sitting on the floor, just bawling and telling myself like, you're feeling so angry and so sad right now because you've just had to say goodbye, but this is worth it. I want you to watch this when you forget Da, 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 da. And I was like, it sounds silly. That's like such an, such Amanda Carpenter thing to do. It's like record a video <laughs> to myself to watch later when I'm going to need it again. So I like, I'm crying over the loss of these girls, but like reminding myself that this is good and like celebratory and you're, and you're going to get to see them again. It's okay. And speaking of that, that's also really helped me cope. We've been able to keep in touch so far with all the kids and their families. Now, I don't know if that's realistic and to sustain forever endeavor. Right. Because, you know, I know people who've fostered hundreds of kids and I don't think they stay in touch with all hundreds of them. But, you know, as best as possible, we just want to take it slow so that we can have a relationship with them and their family. Because that's been really fun is they're, when they're totally out of care, they're back with their family and they can come just have a sleepover on a weekend just so that mom gets a break and we get to see them again. That's been so fun. Um, it's definitely been a coping mechanism. I would also say that I cope by just diving into work. That's not a healthy coping mechanism, right. but I will bury myself in any distraction sometimes. Um, it's not, I guess, as bad as if I be, like distracted myself with like drugs or alcohol, but it's still, right. like, it's still <laughs> not a healthy distraction. But I have to admit that that's when I go into full-blown like work mode. Um, but my husband, I think, helps kind of bring me back, pull me back in yeah. when I kind of go off doing that. But also just friends and community. We have such an amazing community here in Chicago, and they've they've been the best support. And then our families, of course. Um, without all of those people, I don't know that this would be something I'd be interested in doing. So they really do more than they know, whether it's just dropping off a meal after a kid has left or just saying, hey, how you doing? Like do you want to process? Do you need to talk? And sometimes I'll talk and they don't have to say anything. I just need them to listen. Yeah. So, yeah. All of those things. Yeah. Well, I think even though it might sound funny or different that you'd record a video of yourself, I think just the power of words, it's so easy to have like a negative inner self-talk. And I'm sure in those moments, like, I don't know. I know when I feel like sadness and sometimes you can get into a cycle where you want to stay there. Does that make sense? Totally. Like, yeah. Totally. So the fact that you can give yourself that dialogue to kind of get yourself out of that place, or at least, you know, help you to get yourself out of that place that I think that is something that I could take away for, you know, in a lot of situations. Um, so yeah. thank you for sharing that. Of course. Okay. So Thank you so much for uh, talking so much about your fostering journey. And I think it's so cool to hear about it firsthand. Um, I hope that it encourages someone who's listening to this um, that maybe feels led to fostering. Uh, it's such a blessing what you're doing for children who, who need mothering, who need parenting in those moments and at a great cost for you. I mean, uh, you, like you said, it brings you great joy, but you know, you have to go through a lot of sadness and hurt because of it. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, to kind of switch gears in a way, um, another thing I wanted to talk to you about is career change. With career, I think it can be a touchy topic um, whenever you want to make a change, especially in our current culture where it's just like the norm that you go to college and you get a degree and then you find a job or find a career and, you know, it's expected that maybe or maybe it's an expectation we put on ourselves. I don't really know, but like that you stay in that career and that's your calling, right? So, mm -hmm. and I put like kind of quotation marks around that. So I know you were a former teacher um, mm -hmm. and I was too. And like I said, that's kind of how I at first um, found your blog. I was, I don't know if I was searching it or how I stumbled upon it, but I was kind of looking like, this was probably two years before I actually quit teaching. Like, what do you do? Like, what do you do if you quit teaching? What are other options? Or um, could I just find someone? I just wanted to see someone else's story that has quit teaching um, and felt like they were happy about this, that decision. Mm -hmm. And I think I stumbled upon a blog post of yours um, about that. So I want to talk to you about that. Um, for me, when I, when I did eventually quit teaching, like that whole process, I think becoming a mom finally pushed me towards it because I, I finally had like something else that I was like, okay, well I, 
this is something else I have to do. And not that you can't do both. Obviously you can, but I didn't find joy in teaching and it was overwhelming to me to do both. So I was like, okay, I can, I feel like I can step away. But before that, like I probably would have stepped away from teaching. And if you are a teacher listening to this, teaching is a like amazing profession. My husband's a teacher and I don't want to, I'm not saying anything negative about it. I'm just, it didn't bring me joy. But when I wanted to, like those two years um, or however long it was, it, it was just like, I was riddled with anxiety about the decision um, and stress. Mm -hmm. And just, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was doing the right thing either way. Like if I stayed or if I went. So what was that like for you? Obviously, you wrote about it in, in this kind of decision. It's not a small decision. So there's obviously thought behind the process. Um, so what was that like for you to make a career change and to step away from teaching? Yeah, I love this question. And <laughs> I love hearing your journey as well. I had been teaching for three years at the time and knew that I wasn't being fulfilled anymore. Knew that as much as I loved teaching uh, and as much as I loved children, I felt like the career was just draining and I got on anxiety medication and I was like stressed out. And I was, I kept being like, you know, is it this hard for everybody? And I had a few teacher friends who agreed and felt the same way and were similar in similar positions um, as I was. But then I had others who were like, no, I love it. And they just seem to be so gifted with patience, which is totally the thing that I lack. And the more I like talked to them and the more I processed, I was like, I'm not happy and I don't want to suffer in this and like complain every day and hate my life and just kind of do the same thing year after year and call it, call it life. I don't think that's living. So I made a decision with my husband's support when we decided we were moving to Chicago. That was a perfect time for me to be like, okay, I'm going to be leaving the school, right? That makes sense because right. we're moving. And with that, I decided to stop teaching at least to take a year off. And I was like, okay, I'll just get some job in Chicago. Well, as God would have it, um, I got recruited into a marketing job that uh, our headquarters were, are in Sweden. And so I was kind of traveling around and doing that. And honestly, I was only there for 10 months because God invited me to work at my church. Like it's, I'm not even kidding you. It's just crazy the way it all played out. But yeah. I took a leap of faith knowing that God wants me to be happy and gives us free will and doesn't really care. He doesn't um, look at things the way we do or think about things the way we do. At least this is my interpretation. Yeah. And, And so I was like, okay, he wants me to be happy and he gave me free will. What's the worst thing that could happen? That's the question that I would ask myself. Okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? Okay, the worst thing that could happen is I quit. We moved to Chicago. I don't teach. I don't find any other job. um, So nobody else hires me or I get another job, but I hate it. Or, you know, I'm going through all these worst scenarios and I'm still like, okay. But at the end of all of those, there's always the option that I go back. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily go back um, to Indiana and teach, but maybe I apply to teach at a school here in Chicago or something like that. And so I just kind of like, I guess my first recommendation is for people to, when they're, re- when they're wrestling with like a decision that they have to make, to start with the question of what's the worst thing that's going to happen? What's the worst thing? Yeah. Uh, and for me, like just with any job transition I've ever had, I've been like, oh gosh, like very nervous, a lot of anxiety. And then I'm like, what's the worst thing that could happen? And it it really does bring it into perspective. And so when I finally made the decision to leave, right? So I got over that. What's the worst thing that could happen? Fear. And I went ahead and made the decision to leave. I feel like God just like provided. And if you're um, hardworking, like you're going to be able to figure something out. And so it may not be your dream job, but I think it's the next right job. So that's kind of a little theme in my life is I've left a job for the next right thing, not for the dream job, because I think the next right thing time after time will lead you to the right thing or the dream job. And so for me, like leaving teaching and going to getting recruited into this marketing job, was it my dream job? No, but did I like it? Was it better? Yeah. Was it the next right thing? Absolutely. I learned so much even in just those 10 months before I ended up getting recruited to work at my church. And then when I got to the church, was it my dream job? Nope, still not my dream job, but was it the next right thing? Absolutely. It's just like one by one things keep 
um, things continue leading me closer to what I feel like my true God-given purpose is. So I guess the other thing is just like, you don't have to know what you want to do. Just take the next right thing and don't be afraid of change. That's my, that's where I'm at. Yeah, that's, I love that. That's such good encouragement. Um, I think so many like women right now and just anyone, honestly, but I think as women, we, we tend to feel less confident. I don't know. I'm not a man. I can't speak for men, but I feel like when it comes to career, I just feel like we're more careful um, and more careful about these decisions because it's like, okay, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, there's just this, if I do this, like, am I doing the right thing? What's going to happen? And, and like you said, um, I think it can be a faith thing as well. Um, we can get ourselves into this mindset of like, but God led me to go to school for this career. So is this what I'm called to? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Where, you know, like you said, he doesn't look at things the same way as we do. And, and he just, he wants us to be happy. And I, I love that. So that's such good encouragement. I love that idea of the next right job and the next right thing. So I have been thinking about like, how can we simplify and take the pressure off of decisions like these? Like, even though they are big decisions, like how can we take the pressure off of, I guess, just change in general? Because when it comes to just even making small changes or bigger decisions, like, like a career change, my thoughts have been around kind of simplifying that process so that it's not filled with anxiety and it's not putting us on like anxiety medication because we're putting such weight on, on change. So what would you tell someone right now that is wanting to maybe make a career change or just looking at change in general in their lives? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the first thing is don't be impulsive. Yeah. Uh, Secondly, pray about it, write about it. Uh, talk with trusted counsel about it. I have a mentor. I have a counselor. I have friends. I go to all of them about things. And there are some things that if you, if you feel it, um, there's like sort of this quota where I'm like, okay, if this thing is resurfacing in my mind for like two weeks nonstop, like it's something to pay attention to. And um, I work out, which helps with stress and anxiety. And so I just, I think the other thing though, is when I back to the very beginning comment of like, don't be impulsive because there's going to be hard, bad days in any job, whether you're a stay at home mom or whether you're a secretary or whether you're a teacher or a nurse, or you work at your church or whatever the thing is that you do, um, to, to know that there's never perfection doesn't exist. And so you're going to have bad days and not to throw in the towel on those bad days. But if something is stirring in you for weeks on end, months on end, prayed about it, talked with people about it, feel like you know what that next right thing is, then just do it. Um, Because honestly, the longer you sit knowing what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, the worse you're going to feel. And I actually believe that about everything. Uh, I believe that about times of confession when I have to go to my husband and I have to say, oh, babe, I have to admit this thing to you. Like, I totally, like, I totally lied to you about this thing. I don't know why I lied to you about it, but like, I definitely fudged the truth. I think I thought you were going to be mad at me that I spent that much money at the beauty store, but I I actually told you it was a hundred dollars less than it was. I mean, that's actually happened before. It's like one of those things where like, it's on my mind. It's on my heart. It's stirring for weeks on end. Like, I know I just need to go tell him but I don't want to because I feel, I fear whatever the other side of truth is. Right. Same with our career changes or any changes in our life. Like the longer we sit knowing what we should do or what we're supposed to do and we avoid it or we don't do it, the worse it's going to feel. So at some point it is like ripping off a bandaid. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Um, that is such good stuff. So I really want to give you the chance to talk about letters of encouragement because I have heard about it on your Instagram. Um, I've seen what you're doing with it and it seems like such an awesome mission. So how did that start for you? Um, what is it, what does that look like now? Um, and kind of where is it headed and what is it? I guess that's an important question too. Yeah. So I can make this, I can sum this up pretty easily. Uh, back before I was ever a blogger who did it like real publicly, I was just somebody who wrote and happened to share about it every now and then. I also did this thing where I love snail mail and I love encouragement. And I was like, Hey, if anybody wants, like I'm writing these, I'm like writing these cards of encouragement, these little notes of encouragement. I would love to send you one. Like, feel free to send me your name and address. Unless you think that's weird. In which case just move along. (laughs) People 
like women and girls were just like, oh my gosh, like I just went through this breakup. This couldn't come at the more perfect time. And they would send me their name and address. I'd write them a letter. I don't know them, but I'd just be like, hey, Ashley, like you're going to get through this. Like cling to this verse. And I might like share a scripture or cling to this phrase. Like my mom used to always say this to me. I might like tell a little story in it. And I would just write this inspirational and hope-filled letter of encouragement. Well, over time that grew and grew and grew until I was handwriting over 300 a month. That's nearly impossible. If you do the math, I still don't know if I just like didn't sleep during that season or what, but it was exhausting. And I realized that the quality and intentionality behind my letters was decreasing as the quantity went up. So it went through a series of changes. And where it's at today is I hired a team of seven um, girls who are... um, I shouldn't use the word hired. That's what I joke that I hired them because they did submit an application and I did choose them out of hundreds of other people, but I do not pay them right now. It's all volunteer based, but my team is seven girls from all across the U S from Texas to uh, Ohio, to me in Chicago, to um, California. Like our team is spread out. Um, These seven women each have a different role, whether it's intake specialist or care manager or um, admin assistant, helping me oversee monthly letters of encouragement as we relaunched and it grew and grew and is still um, growing every day. And so if people want to learn more about that or want to receive a letter or be a writer of the letters, they can go to my website or my social media. And it's pretty clear. Actually, monthly letters of encouragement has its own Instagram too. So you can find that by going to my page and then click on over or whatever is easiest. Okay. Awesome. That is such a cool mission. I love that. Um, Snail mail is definitely like, I know I love getting a letter in the mail. I think everyone does, but it's something we so often don't take the time for. So that is so cool that you're doing that. And I love that it has grown for you. Um, and just that it's free. I should mention that. So like if somebody's like going through chemo and they're like, or they are going through a divorce or they just had a miscarriage or, I mean, and not that you have to have any major life crisis or thing happen to apply. Like some people just want encouragement and that's wonderful. But also that is probably the majority of people are going through something really difficult when they sign up. And the beauty of it is that it's free. There's no cost at all. And, um, we, our writers, um, provide their own stationery and stamps and, it's just like this little pay it forward movement. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Um, okay, so last two kind of shorter questions um, before we wrap this up. So I like to ask my guests two things. In kind of the spirit of simplicity and simplifying, is there something that you are currently like simplifying in your life right now? It can be small. It can be a big thing. Well, I did do the month of September, I shared a a devotional, a 30 day devotional on space. And as silly as it sounds, I have simplified my schedule. I have said no more than ever before. I have went ahead and cut back on different commitments. Like I used to lead a small group. I used to be in a small group just for two examples. I'm not doing either of those in this season because I needed a freer schedule. I needed a simpler schedule. I'm trying to think of what else. Oh, I unsubscribe frequently to everything that I can. Um, If it's not adding value in my inbox, I'm going to unsubscribe. I want to simplify the amount of communication that's in front of my face or in my ears. Uh, And that goes along with unfollowing and not, not that I'm unfollowing people like all the time, but if someone's popping up and they're either causing, triggering some yucky feelings within me or they don't, it doesn't add value to my life. There's so many voices screaming for our attention at all times. And so I just learned to simplify by removing things out of my schedule and people and things and voices from um, a communication standpoint out of my ears, out of my face, you know, you get the idea. Yeah, absolutely. That is, that's great. Um, I definitely think it's so easy to just fill our schedules and yeah, I, I know I need to work on my inbox for sure. So um, that is totally important. So thank you for sharing that. And then last question, just kind of a fun one. What is something that you can't stop talking about right now? It can be anything. Ooh, can't stop talking about right now? Yeah. See, I talk a lot, so that's hard. (laughs) I think 
What I can't stop talking about right now is the fact that I am so excited. I'm um, self-publishing a couple different books. I've been holding on to them as I've gone through the journey with um, a couple different lit agents hoping to get published. And then I, it hit me one day, as much as I'm still going down that journey, I can also self-publish what's ready now. Why hold back and wait? Um, and so I'm doing that. So that's one thing I can't stop talking about. And the other thing I can't stop talking about is... Well, it's local to Chicago, I think. I don't think it's a chain, but I've been eating at Sweet Green. It's a salad place, like a healthy, healthy food place. Yeah. I don't like healthy food, but I love the salads at Sweet Green. And so that's something that with some people around our staff office and just friends of mine, I've been like talking about it a lot because I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys, I'm eating healthy. Look, I have green on my plate. Um, so Sweet Green, but like I said, I don't know if that's local to Chicago, if that's a massive chain. I think yeah. it's local to Chicago. Well, either way, I'm going to look it up just in case, but, um, but that's, that's great. I can always like, I love a good salad because I just feel like I can never make a good one at home. Like I never have, you never have all the ingredients in your fridge to put together this like amazing salad or right. you know, whatever plate full of veggies. But, um, if you can find a place that can give you something good like that and you can feel good about eating healthy, that's always a good thing. So with the books, um, if, our listeners follow you on Instagram and subscribe to your newsletter. They can kind of keep up with that and see what you're doing with that. Absolutely. And if you're subscribed to the newsletter, like there's a lot of free things that I give. Sometimes I surprise people with free Starbucks. Sometimes I surprise people oh, wow. with like half off on a, a digital download or even an in-print thing. So more of that is coming. So there's definitely perks for being my email friend um, for sure. So yeah. That's awesome. That's so exciting. Um, I can't wait to see uh, where where you go with the self-publishing and uh, what your books that are coming out. I can't wait to see them. So um, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. Your story is so encouraging. Thank you for just being a light, being encouraging um, and sharing your story with us today. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. Isn't Manda great? I told you this at the beginning of the episode, and now I know that you are agreeing with me. So make sure you find her on Instagram, check out her blog and her newsletter. Um, I know that you will be encouraged by continually following her. Thank you so much again for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, go ahead and give it a rating or a review. That really helps other eyes see the podcast. Okay, next week on the show, I will be talking to Lauren of An Organized Life, and we talk about organizational systems. Um, she gives us kind of insight into the main things she does to organize her days, and yeah, she's seriously an organizational guru, so you don't want to miss this episode. Um, we even talk a little bit about the psychology behind organization, why some people struggle with organization while other people don't. Um, she talks about her ideas on why she thinks that is, and it is pretty eye-opening. So you don't want to miss that episode. I will talk to you right here next week. This has been an episode of the Simply Enough Show. We hope you're enjoying the show, and if you are, go ahead and leave us a rating or a review. It helps us get the word out about the podcast. And you can also find anything about the show, updates, behind-the-scenes stuff on Instagram at at Desiree Andries. I would love to connect with you there. You can also find the show at DesireeAndries.com slash The Simply Enough Show. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you.